0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Liquid IV. This is a partnership I'm thrilled to share with you guys. The subject of hydration is a meaningful and important one that I think a lot of people don't have the conversation. It's just simply a fact that you cannot perform at your highest level if you are dehydrated, especially in these crucial summer months of training for cross-country Being hydrated is a must. Despite the myth floating around, water alone does not keep you hydrated. It's very important to supplement with products like Liquid IV to ensure you're ready to go for training. So why, might you ask, should I choose Liquid IV? Well, I have a few facts for you. It has two to three times more hydration than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And it has three times the amount of electrolytes compared to traditional sports drinks, which is just incredible. And then also, Liquid IV uses only premium ingredients. Every product is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. One crazy fact that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that dehydration occurs daily in 75% of people. It's not just runners where dehydration happens. It's in everybody, and you need to be hydrated to feel your best and perform your best. And you can start to fix that problem by fueling up with Liquid IV, Don't wait, you can start to run faster and feel better today. So maybe you're not convinced yet. (laughs) You can get 25% off of all products with code the running effect, all caps. In addition to this, we get a small commission from sales using that code. So you are directly contributing to the future of this podcast, which is super exciting. I'm super passionate about this product and hope you will all give it a try and help the podcast in the process. So I hope you all try out Liquid IV. It's definitely helped me in my training and staying hydrated. And even in these podcasts, it's uh, one of my favorite beverages to drink while I uh, ask the questions on the other side of the mic. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleider. I'm your host, Dominic, and I am absolutely thrilled that you have clicked on today's episode because I have a very special, inspiring, thoughtful, and uh, just amazing conversation all around to share with you guys today. But before we get into it, I would greatly appreciate it if you guys gave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. In addition to that, uh, share the show with your friends, family, and whoever else so we can help spread the word about the show and hopefully help people out in the process of them listening to it. So my guest for today's show is Emily Cole. If you guys don't know who that is, she runs for the University of Duke. She's an NIL star. And in addition to these incredible things, she is coming out with her first ever book called The Player's Plate this upcoming September or October, I believe. We talk all about all of those things in the show. And quite frankly, being honest with you guys, as I always strive to do, this conversation may be my favorite podcast all time in the two-year history of the show. Emily is like the exact person you want as a guest for a podcast. She's so well-spoken. She does so many amazing things in life. And to top it off, she has this incredible enthusiastic joy that just makes you smile on the other end of the headphones. So my conversation with you guys today is really an inspiring and impactful one. And for me, quite frankly, it was those two things as well, inspiring and impactful. And I walked away from uh, recording this episode a better version of myself. And I can certainly say, after you guys listen to this show, uh, you will do so as well. So not much more to say about Emily. You'll he- hear all about her in this upcoming episode. So I hope you all appreciate this episode as much as I did. Special thanks to Emily for carving out time of her day. Crazy busy day. She's so She has so many different things on her plate. No pun intended with the name of her book, The Player's Plate, LOL. Um, but yeah, she has so many things on her plate. So I really appreciate her taking the time to do this with me. So without further ado, here's my mind-blowing, impactful, thoughtful, and any other amazing adjective you can throw in there, conversation with Emily Cole. Emily, we've been wanting to make this one happen for a few months now. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I am so well. Thank you so much for having me, Dominique. Yes, like you said, we've been trying to connect for a while now. So I'm happy you're finally getting to make this happen. I've seen you've had some amazing guests. So honored to be among that lineup.
0: So I have to ask, what day do you go back to Duke? And how has your summer as a whole been? I'm sure it's been so crazy. I know we'll dive into (laughs) a lot of this stuff. But you went to NCAAs, you went to the US uh, championships, which is so crazy. And then you were finishing up your book. So I'm sure you had a crazy summer. But are you excited to go back to school? And overall, how was your summer?
1: yes for sure no it has definitely been crazy and i'm getting i'm at the end of my little two week break that i have at home and so i'm really just trying to soak it up because i haven't been home since christmas i didn't take the opportunity to go home over spring break because i, I really wanted to focus on my training and and hope that they would pay off during track season and thankfully it did but definitely make being home sweeter but the summer has been great you know getting to go to ncaa's and usa's were opportunities that i didn't know for sure gonna have ncaa's i was hoping and then usa's i honestly didn't even have on my radar before this summer happened so i'm just really really grateful for all of that and then the book process i actually just finished i got it back from copy editing a couple of days ago and And read it out loud one more time for final editing checks and send it off. So I finally have that off my plate as well, which is really cool.
0: So one follow-up question I have for you is I know obviously podcast and writing a book is completely different. But for me, when I record a podcast, I have to edit through it and I listen to it like two or three times before it actually comes Mm -hmm. out for the listener. And by the time it comes out, I'm like kind of sick of it to the point where like, I'm not going to listen to this again. So for writing a book, I'm curious, is it similar where you're like, I cannot read Read through another page of this after going through it so many um, times.
1: It's so funny you say that because definitely, and also, I just uh, my like my mom has been reading through it with me, and so it was really cool getting to go through that whole process with her. It's obviously a bonding experience for us, but I was like. Mom, I hope you don't hate my book after this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm definitely, you know, everyone, it's so funny because so many people, it's like you finish one thing and all they want to hear about is the next one. Everyone's like, so are you going to write another book? Like, when are you going to write another one? I'm like, this is a terrible time to ask me because I currently don't want to write a book ever again after this. (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I definitely am been a little bit of a process having to read through it a couple of times, but I'm just so excited for everyone to get to read it. And I'm so passionate about the information that it's really cool getting to read through it and be like, wow, I actually did put this together and it actually will be able to benefit people. And there are so many younger athletes that don't know these pieces of information, and and this could be, you know, career and life changing for them. So it really just makes me more excited to get it out.
0: Yeah, for sure. That is so awesome to hear about. I'm curious to hear because like in doing research for this episode, you've kind of blown up over the past two years. So how cool Mm -hmm. is it to see and reflect upon all the hard work you've put in to get to where you're at today from a running standpoint, a book standpoint, an NIL standpoint, wherever you want to go from this, I feel like you've (laughs) grown as a person athlete and so much more in the past two to three years. And it's really been cool to see. So what's it like to reflect upon all of that?
1: Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Um, And it definitely has been a two to three year process of all of this coming together. I think That's what's really cool is, you know, I started this book before knowing that all the NIL laws would end up changing and that this would be an opportunity. And so I thought that I would have to not talk about being an athlete at Duke and not be able to share that part of my experience, which was kind of a bummer. But I was like, I still want to get this guide out on sports nutrition, for younger athletes even if I can't talk about my own experience at Duke. No matter what I want to do, I want to get this out because it's something that could have been so – big for me as an athlete. And so I started that, obviously, a couple of years ago. And then with NIL, I've just always loved getting to share my story. And I realized the power of social media because my older sister is is in the music industry. And uh, shout out Julia Cole Music. She's an incredible country music artist. She's famous and has really, really amazing songs. And she was just teaching me about the power of sharing your daily story and how whenever you know before I came to run at Duke she was like this is something that a lot of people would really love to see the behind the scenes of like and I think that coming from my whole running story you can get into that later but I didn't think that I was going to end up running into college and so that I'm really grateful for because up until my senior year I was just planning on going to college for academics and I was really grateful for this because it gave me it gives me currently the opportunity to be able to see my current position from an outside perspective and be able to see how valuable the daily you know eight miles post that i share and the tiktoks that i share about behind the scenes of my life at duke i can easily tell how valuable that will be for these younger athletes because i was in their position a few years ago it's not something that i just expected and i'm like oh well yeah of course I have, you know, the, uh, the four nights a week we have athlete dining. That's what most people do. Like, no, it's not. And it's something that we should all be very grateful for. And it's a really cool opportunity. And I think that being able to have that perspective and see and understand how valuable that is for younger athletes is something that, you know, not every college athlete can
0: mm be able to say Mm -hmm. yeah for sure so you spoke about your sister julia cole and actually i can leave a link to her music in the show notes or her spotify for people (laughs) who haven't discovered her before because she is extraordinarily talented i'm curious to hear what are the biggest lessons you've learned from her because it seems like she's been an instrumental part in you not only creating this book but also you as a person and your success as a person and human being
1: That's a great question. And I think that the biggest thing is not like tying your identity. I know in the running world, there's a big conversation around not tying your identity to your running in the athletic world, actually, because most athletes really are able to find that next level of success and happiness whenever they're able to, if they have already put their identity in their sport, you know, find their identity in something else. And and be able to find their self-confidence in them as a person outside of their sport. And so I think that's something that I've really gotten to learn from her on the social media aspect is obviously social media can be detrimental to one's mental health. That's not anything new. And it's a big conversation about, you know, the perfected culture of Instagram and tying yourself worse to your likes and your follows and things like that. And the thing about it is it's so volatile that if you have your self-worth and happiness wrapped in your social media standing, however it's doing, if you're getting a bunch of followers or not, it it can be so scary and so bad. And so I think that having her as an older role model in that sense was really cool because I was able to see the importance of not getting tied into my social media from the very beginning. And I actually think that that has been super beneficial to the reason why I've been able to find success in social media because I don't care about it as much. And I know that there's, there's a a subtle connection between that and and success in a lot of different avenues. I just know that if, you know, if I'm not getting a bunch of followers or if my post didn't do that well, like it's going to be okay. I've got other avenues that I am happy with and putting my work towards. And I think that's one of the other, you know, recommendations is to not have, not put all of your focus just in your social media. So anyways, that's something that I definitely learned from her and, and she taught me years ago and she's had to struggle with for years. So I'm grateful that I could kind of learn that ahead of time before getting into this entire new world of name, image, and likeness.
0: Mm -hmm. So One last thing on your sister, Julia, that I think I would love to touch on. So we were texting earlier this morning and we were talking about like spending your time wisely and making sure Mm -hmm. you live every day to the fullest. And you sent me this quote that apparently your sister uh, sent to you from Pablo Picasso, which is only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone, which was really impactful for me. And I think it's a phenomenal quote. So can you kind of elaborate on that thought and why that's important to you? And even the whole idea uh, people that know you and I've certainly learned this through the process of um, this doing this podcast with you and scheduling. Like you are very intentional with where you spend your time, which I think is something that a lot more people could do. Because I texted you this. It's like every single day we spend is a day we'll never get back. So c- give me your yeah. thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm so grateful she shared that quote with my whole family, and it really has been impactful for me as well. I'm glad you liked it. And I think that the, the, you know, the main tenet of it is just really focusing in on what you should be doing today. And I know that I'm definitely someone who makes, I love making to-do lists. I make a bunch of to-do lists. And it's funny because most of what's on my to-do list doesn't end up getting done. And I often don't end up looking at my to-do list after I write it. (laughs) So it's more of like a, a mental exercise for me. And I think that that quote kind of touches on figuring out what's important. Like you can make the to-do list and write out everything. Yes. If you had all the time in the world, what all would you do today? But most of the time you don't. And so that really helps you figure out what is the most important And that quote saying, you know, don't leave anything until tomorrow that you're willing to die having left undone. It's like, if you want something to get done, do it now and don't put it off. And I think that that's, something that has really benefited me in learning how to manage doing so much at one time and and being intentional with my time is figuring out what things are the most important and and getting them done. I know it's funny. My dad actually told me another quote kind of on the same topic a couple of days ago. My family's not usually this big on quotes. So for (laughs) some reason this week we have been. I love quotes. Um, They're awesome. (laughs) They really are. And he said, um, don't let the urgent overtake the important. Mm. And it was just impactful because there are so many people texting me all the time. Oh, can you do this NIL deal for my company? Oh, can you get on this for me? Oh, how are you doing? And I'm not going to lie. I am the worst responder. Like I, t- I will take three weeks to respond to someone, but if it's so, some- if it's something important, like when you were texting me for the podcast today, I was responding. <laughs> and so it's like, being able to kind of decipher, you've got to be able to have this laser focus on what is the most important so you can make sure that you maximize your time. And obviously if it's something that is really important, respond to them and make sure that, you know, you don't lose any friendships or things like that. But I much prefer to get on a phone call or FaceTime and have a proper catch up with someone than just try and text back and forth all day because I'll get too distracted and they'll take away from what I'm trying to do as well. So I think that, Those two quotes are really great for anyone that's trying to be able to accomplish more and figure out how to manage their time better, just really honing in on, you know, the three big things that you want to get accomplished that day, get those done first, and then reward yourself and let yourself do things that make you happy
0: yeah i love that this podcast 10 minutes in we're already spitting some fire emily i appreciate it so how do you figure out what's important to you how have you like tried to do that over the past few years specifically in college where i'm sure you're you're being pulled in every which way from academically to running and now you have all these nil deals popping up in a book so how do you try and figure out what is truly important to you
1: that's a great question um i think that Figuring out what's important, I always like talking about things that things that take a little bit longer time and a little bit more effort typically end up paying off more in the end. So, I am a big fan of doing things that are projects that will take a little bit longer, and that can be kind of hard to figure out what's important whenever you're doing a bunch of different projects that aren't going to be finished tomorrow. So, I don't know. I think that that's a daily a daily decision for me on on how I'm going to decide that day what is the most important. And I think that whenever I'm looking at my life, obviously I have I have a hierarchy of like family and then school and then running and then NIL. So NIL definitely goes towards the end. And I think that it's cool how everyday running is. Typically, what ends up coming out first, I kind of build my schedule around when I'm going to run that day. And my family is super awesome to whenever going on vacations and whatnot, be willing to kind of build our schedule around my running, which I know is a luxury that not a lot of runners have. And I'm really grateful for the support that my family gives me in, in my running goals. But I think that once you figure out what your values lie in, it'll make it easier to figure out what's most important to you.
0: So you wouldn't be the Emily you are today without the younger one. So I want to touch on some of your beginning in the sport of running and just younger Emily in general. So can you take our listeners behind how you got your start in the sport of running and in addition to that, what your first impressions of the sport were?
1: So my running career was definitely a lot different than most people's. I think a lot of runners, you know, get started super young and and a lot of athletes now are having to specialize a lot earlier. And so... I'm really grateful because both of my older sisters didn't end up specializing in running. Kristen is a couple years older than Julia. And then Julia is seven years older than me. So I had a lot of time to kind of watch them as a much younger, you know, little four year olds going to all of their sports games. And Kristen focused on basketball and track and Julia focused on volleyball and track. And so, all I wanted growing up was to be just like my sisters, and whenever I got into middle school and finally got to choose, I actually didn't end up doing cross-country. I was like, I don't know why anyone would want to run. That sounds difficult, <laughs> so I did volleyball and basketball and track, and I loved all three of them. actually went into high school and couldn't choose, so ended up doing all three, and the cross-country coach at Klein, Coach McGuire, he's absolutely incredible and obviously the reason why I am the runner I am today and and love running so much. He actually came over to the middle school and was like trying to get recruit people for the cross-country team because he was a new coach and he saw that I had a pretty decent mile time. I had like whatever 545 and I hadn't been doing cross-country and he was like oh yeah we've got to get you out on the cross-country course. I was like uh I don't know about all that. (laughs) So my freshman year, I did end up trying. I did all four my freshman year and I was doing club volleyball and club basketball. So I actually had zero free time my freshman year of high school. I was going to say, no wonder
0: you're so good with managing your time now with that (laughs) schedule as a freshman in high school. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, so that definitely got me very used to being busy all the time. And now it's just kind of what keeps me going. Like, I love it. And and I've realized that I actually just enjoy doing things that, you know, either have to do with NIL or running or just doing things that are, you know, quote unquote, productive. And that doesn't mean that I'm like, I, I make sure that I don't overwork myself. And I'm like, how am I, I haven't taken a break in a while. Like, how am I okay right now? I'm like, I'm actually really enjoying everything I'm doing, which is really cool. But anyways, so that freshman year I did them. And the reason why I ended up working out is because they were all different seasons except for cross country and volleyball. So I would run, I'd go to cross country practice in the morning, and then I would have volleyball practice after school or vice versa, depending on the day. And I definitely had a lot of conflict with my coaches um, (laughs) of them being upset that I was splitting time across sports, but if there's one thing I can recommend to younger athletes, it's to push through the conflict if you can, you know, if that's an opportunity that you're lucky enough to have really, really try as hard as you can to continue doing multiple sports because I ended up quitting cross country my sophomore year, actually, because I was like, I love volleyball. I just love the culture and the energy around it. And, um, I ended up being on, um, just varsity best varsity volleyball, basketball and track a junior, and I was like, okay, I know that I'm spreading myself thin right now, and I'm doing a lot, and so I was like, if I really want to see what I can do running, that summer after my junior year, I don't know what it was, but my track season in my junior year, I got the bug of wanting to break five minutes in the mile, and my coach was like, oh, you can do it, and so at regionals, I like went out to break five minutes and I was on pace for the first three laps, and my PR at the time, by the way, was like 5:11, and so that was a significant goal. And I went, I got to that last lap, and oh my gosh, I blew up. I <laughs> ended up running like a 5:17, and so whatever that lap added 17 seconds to the pace. But that that whole season made me so hungry to break five minutes in the mile. But that summer, that's whenever I got really into nutrition. I gave up volleyball and basketball and really started focusing on running. And I didn't even intend to run in college. You know, at this point, it was all still just with the intent of I focused really hard on academics all growing up. That was something my parents really emphasized. And I looked at two of my sisters. One of my biggest goals was getting to go to the top ten dinner. It was like the top ten because we have, you know, whatever, a thousand students in our grade. And so being a top 10 of 1,000 students was obviously a super huge accomplishment. And both my sisters were number 12. And so they were just outside of it. And I was like, okay, that's a huge goal for me. And so ended up focusing on academics a lot and ended up going, getting to go to that top 10 dinner. But my point is I went into that senior year and it was like kind of like, okay, this is me going out with track and I want to be able to break five. And that summer kind of changed my life when I started eating healthier and gave up volleyball and basketball. And I came into cross country season and I PR would by like a minute and a half. And that was obviously, you know, super huge and it got caught a couple of college coaches eyes. And that's when they started reaching out and I was like, Whoa, you know, maybe this is something that is possible for me. And, um, That is whenever I had that whole, I qualified for state for the first time ever in cross country. And that was whenever I had my whole bout with hyponatremia. I had drunk too much water and was eating too healthy. My food didn't have enough salt in it. I was drinking a bunch of water and I'm also just a very salty sweater. So I wasn't replenishing my water with electrolytes in it. And the night before my state cross country meet that I had been, you know, working all summer for, I w- went into a self-induced coma. It was it was definitely a gradual thing. Like that whole day, I had been feeling sick. We thought that I had just eaten something wrong. And then, you know, I had been throwing up, which made the sodium levels way worse because anything I did have in me got significantly lower. And then that night, you know, I kind of went to bed and my coach came in to check on me because everyone knew I had not been feeling well. He came in with my my teammate, my roommate, and... He shook my shoulder and I like convulsed. It looked like I had had a seizure. So he called the ambulance. Ambulance came and got me and they ended up determining that I have hyponatremia. And being dangerously low in your sodium levels, the reason why it's so bad is because you have to raise the levels very slowly. Um, As I'm sure many of you know, sodium causes you to swell. If you have too much sodium, your face might feel a little puffy or whatnot. So... They have to raise it really slowly so that your brain doesn't swell too quickly. And that's why I was in the coma for two and a half days. I slept through the state meet. I actually was supposed to go on my official visit to Duke that weekend. And so my, co- my dad had called Coach Riley and was like, Yeah, so Emily's not going to be able to make it. She is not feeling well. That is why she didn't run in the meet. You know, she was checking for times, and my name just wasn't there. And so people are all confused as to what happened. And he's like, yeah, Emily just got super sick, and, you know, we're kind of working on it. But sadly, she won't be able to make it this weekend. Just try to keep everything super basic because my parents didn't really know, you know, what was going to happen. And they didn't know if I was going to wake up. So both my sisters flew in. My older sister was living in London at the time, and Julia was in Nashville, as she is now. And so they had both flown in. And I remember waking up and being like, what just happened? Because, <laughs> you know, I was supposed to go to the run in the state meet the next morning. That was like the big thing, you know, I wanted to get through. And I woke up, and I'm in a hospital bed, and my dad's holding my hand, and my sisters are here. And they're literally from across the world. I was like, Okay. Something is obviously not right. But um, that whole experience is kind of what inspired my book because if anyone had looked at what I was eating at the time, they would have been like, oh, she's doing perfect. Like she's eating so healthy and she's she looks super fit Like and she's running well. Like everything's great. But clearly everything was not great. And so that's one of the main tenets of – I ended up writing a, my book called The Player's Plate. And it's not just about sports nutrition but also – finding this balance in your life as an athlete, because sports nutrition also encompasses having those treats. And, and it's not just about eating grilled chicken and broccoli. It's also about understanding that you have to have this balance in your life and not get too stringent on things because it can be, it can be severely dangerous. So that's definitely what inspired my whole passion with nutrition and um, sports nutrition and Running kind of started that summer before senior year. But that is how my journey ended up going through cross country. And then thankfully, I was able to heal from my my coma. It took about two weeks for my brain swelling to go back down and for me to really be like myself again. I just couldn't really hold a conversation. I was falling asleep during the middle of conversations and just doing crazy things. there was literally one time we had like people over, and I like, Changed in the middle of the living room in front of everyone. My brain was literally not working. <laughs> um, I it was just obviously scary, super scary for my parents. But um, I was able to get a bunch of sodium and electrolytes, and, and that track season, you know, thankfully I was able to run times that were better. I cut my mile time down to a four fifty, so I ended up getting to break that five minute Yay. area, which is a super big deal for me. And so that. Senior year of running, I really squeezed a lot of experiences and growth and knowledge into that one year. A lot of passion too, and you know, I'm really grateful for everything that I learned in that short amount of time to cause me to become the runner and person I am today.
0: Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you sharing all of that, and there's a lot to unpack there. But of course, that story <laughs> you shared, it's like. I can't even imagine as a parent or a sibling like that happening, Um, obviously an extremely scary experience and everyone's grateful that you came out on the other side better. But I'm curious to hear what are like the biggest lessons you learned from that experience? I know, of course, a lot of them, I'm sure, came from a nutrition standpoint. You changed stuff up, which is where this wonderful book came from. But what are the biggest lessons and experiences you learned from that really scary experience that um, gratefully turned out fine?
1: So I think the biggest thing was listening to your hunger cues. You know, our bodies are really smart. And if you're craving something, there's probably a reason. I'm not saying if you're craving cookies every day that you should go have 10 cookies every day. (laughs) Um, But I think that if you are craving sugar, you know, that is your body telling something you're probably not eating enough or, you know, your body needs carbohydrates, different things like that. There's there are reasons why we have the cravings and feelings that we do, and I know personally I crave salty snacks. I love salty snacks, and now I understand why. <laughs> I am just, I am, I am definitely a particularly saltier sweater than most people. So even my friends who are working out in the same extreme heat don't need to have as much sodium replenished as me. And so I think that that was definitely something that. I didn't really fully understand, but th- that couple of months building out before the coma, I wasn't really able to think clearly between meals. Like, I couldn't really focus in class, and I was like, all I could think about was just like getting to the next meal, but I wasn't like hungry. It wasn't like I was like not eating when I was hungry. It was this really weird mental imbalance, which now makes ton kind of sense because sodium is crucial for your cells to have these. Um, electrical communications between them. You have your Sony ion channel and whatnot. And so that was why I wasn't really able to think clearly. And as soon as I'd have a salty meal, I would feel so much better and be able to think so much better and really be able to focus in a conversation. And it's funny because these are little things that we take for granted now, like focus in a conversation or like being able to pay attention in school. But I think that also ties back into mental health. When people are talking about being depressed, or being anxious, you don't take that for granted anymore because it takes away from everything in your life. And you're really a different person. And that is something that is a side effect of being low in sodium too, is just being a different person, being more irritable. And I really wasn't fun to be around. I mean, all I did was run and eat and and sleep. At that point, really, I mean, I would talk to my parents, but I didn't really have any desire to hang out with my friends. I was like, I just want to, do this. I'm so focused. I'm so determined, but I thought it was a dedication thing. You know, I think that's one of the dangers of being an athlete is a lot of us can become so dedicated to our sport that we think, you know, oh, well, I'm just super dedicated. And people encourage that. People are like, oh my gosh, she's just got everything together. She's so dedicated. She doesn't, you know, hang out with her friends. She's going to bed at 8 p.m. And all of that is great. I'm not saying don't be dedicated to your sport and have big goals, but also understand that there is a line where you've got to reward yourself. And it's not just about saying that you're rewarding yourself and checking that box off for everyone else. It's literally about your mental health and your physical health and your ability to perform at your best. You have got to have those breaks and have that reprieve for your body to be able to relax and fully be able to take – the intensity of what it requires to be able to stay on that strict regimen.
0: So I feel like we could have like a three hour conversation because there's so much (laughs) in your life to unpack. But a few things I do want to go over. I do want to talk about your experience at Duke. Um, So a few questions on that. You kind of Um, briefly told the story of how you put yourself in a position to be able to run collegiately and it wasn't something that you were expecting to do going into college. And running really wasn't something you were expecting to do until the later half of your high school um, life. So what went into the decision to attend the University of Duke? Um, I'm curious to hear what you thought made it stand out over other schools, specifically as a senior now in high school. I'm always curious to ask those sorts (laughs) of questions and hear from people.
1: Yeah. I mean, the recruiting process is is obviously so personalized and different for everybody. And I think that, you know, I'm very open about my own journey. Whenever I, whenever people reached out to me, I was reached out to by University of Alabama and the University of Pitt. Whenever they saw that I had those big drops in my cross country times, and I will forever be grateful to those two universities and those two coaches, because they believed in me. And They were, you know, searching through. I wasn't a top recruit. They had to find that change in time and really be like, oh, who is this girl? And do their research. And them inviting me on visits really opened the door for me to be able to run in college. So I'll forever be grateful to them. But I just, I feel like whenever I was going on my visits, as you know, as I spoke about academics has always been something that was super important to me and so my oldest sister Kristen she went to Duke and Julia went to Vanderbilt and so those were two schools that were definitely on the list but I never really thought that I would end up at Duke. I loved Duke you know ever since I was 12 years old and Kristen started her time there. I was a big Duke basketball fan. I remember watching Duke UNC basketball game and literally just Crying after it's been Duke lost I was like <laughs> ten years old, and I think that that's what was really cool was I stepped on the Duke's campus, not at all being like, oh, I really, really, really want to go here. I was definitely, I definitely loved the school, but I didn't feel any outside pressure that it needed to be where I, I wanted to go. And when I compared all the different, I so I visited in person to Alabama and Pitt and Vanderbilt and Duke and Duke was my final visit. Obviously I was supposed to go that weekend after my state cross country meet. Thankfully Coach Riley and Coach Dan believed in me and let me reschedule for a few weeks later. And, but whenever I stepped on the Duke's campus, I just fell in love. And whenever I got to actually interact with the girls on the team as well, they were all so like-minded to me. It was really important to me that everyone else valued academics as well, because it's just a different lifestyle and it's also really beneficial to help you reach your academic goals when the people around you also value that because they're also doing it and you can all study together. It's not like you'd be the outsider going out and and studying tonight and everyone else is going to go hang out. Like at Duke, A lot of times we'll hang out and half the people are studying and half the people are hanging out, but (laughs) it's just built around a culture of helping people find academic success and chase their academic dreams too, if that's something that they're interested in. And that was definitely something that was important to me. So whenever I got to meet the girls and the coaches, I mean, Coach Riley and Coach Dan were just awesome. And I loved them. I loved everything about the program and the girls and the team. And I I'm pretty sure I committed like on that visit. I I think we were in the car on the way back and I was like, yes, I would like to come here. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was really cool. And it was a big decision for me because it was really the first big decision and phase of my life where I was doing something for myself and doing something different than my sisters were. I had always just kind of followed in their steps and kind of had my life panned out for me because I was just going to do what they did and finding running helped me find myself and I think that being the younger sibling allows you that luxury of being able to find yourself a little bit later in life whereas if you're the oldest child that's something you have to discover a lot earlier on but that was definitely that was definitely a really big piece for me was stepping on the new campus and getting to meet all the people that I just knew I would love spending every day with and I wouldn't get tired of them. And I have, I've never taken guess that decision and I've been grateful for the opportunity to run at Duke every day since.
0: Yeah. So speaking more on like the community aspect and surrounding yourself with good people, there's this principle, one of the biggest principles that I use to guide my life is that you're the average of the five people who you spend the most time with. And it seems like you kind of you kind of had that mindset when you were looking into schools and you realized that the girls at Duke certainly were similar minded to you and to your goals and mm-hmm. you knew they would push you to those goals. So can you speak on the importance of surrounding yourself with good, positive, encouraging, and people who will help you strive after those goals? Because I think specifically, I know a large portion of audience is younger like one of the biggest pieces mm-hmm. of advice that I give people all the time is like surround yourself with good people and even if that means yeah. having less friends it's worth it like it might be weird that I some of my best friends are like 25 or older but i'm so grateful Mm -hmm. that i have the opportunity to have those people as friends over people who i know won't lead me closer to my goals so can you speak on the idea of forming a strong support system around you and how it's been crucial to you in order to achieve some of the things you have in life
1: yes for sure i think you have a a great point there and And you having friends that are older is exactly my answer. I think that, you know, age doesn't necessarily always correlate linearly with being wiser. But I am, I'm lucky enough that having my older sisters who were seven and nine years older, I was always surrounded by them and their friends. And so just being around people that had seven more years of life under their belt, they were able to give me so much more perspective. And You know, I didn't have to worry about the elementary school or middle school drama. You know, all my students were telling me, just just wait until you get to high school or just wait until you get to college. You know, the drama will not matter. What will matter is your grades and, you know, how successful that you have been throughout these years to be able to get you into the college you want and get you into, you know, circles that might be more your type of people. And so I think that was definitely something growing up was my people were my family and I obviously had friends in my grade and I'm so grateful for the fact that I wasn't a super elite runner from a young age because I got to have so many experiences with my friends. Volleyball and basketball culture is so much different. <laughs> for sure. I mean, we would just get like, we'd get Canes before games, we'd get burger. We would do all of the things and it, was, it wasn't nearly as important that we took pristine care of our bodies and our health. And that's what I love about running. That's why I love it now. But if it had been something that I had to do from you know, age eight years old, I might be burnt out of it by now. And so I think that being able to find those five people, that's something that I learned. I'm really grateful. This is a, it's not the most, Actually, I'm going to recommend it. So in high school, I read The 4-Hour work week And obviously, it's not a very high schooler type book. That's Tim Ferriss, right? Was... Yes, yeah, Tim Ferriss, exactly. And it was recommended to me by Kristen, my older sister, who was nine years ahead of me and was really focusing on, you know, work and kind of making her time more efficient. And the whole premise of the book is really figuring out what is important to you, what we talked about earlier and focusing your time in on that, rather than wasting your time doing all these little things. And one of the, one of the points they make is this importance of having people around you that you really value their time and, and choosing the five people who matter the most to you. Because at the end of the day, as long as you make sure that your relationships with them are good, if you have five people that you can build relationships with over years, that would be so much more beneficial to you than if you have 20 acquaintances that kind of rotate through every year. You'll never be able to make those deep, lasting bonds with people that really make you feel known and make you feel loved. Thankfully, you know, my family are people that I would love to have in that circle. And so I, I count them in that list. But I think that whenever you're choosing these people, as long as you're making sure that they're they're people who are always going to be telling you, you know, recommendations or whatnot, with your best interest in mind, and they, you know, they genuinely love you. And I'm I'm really grateful that I had, you know, my parents and my sisters for that. But I also have some really great friends that I was able to find through the years that have been able to play that role. And I think that whenever you have people around you. A couple of other things that i would say recommend when you're trying to pick these five people or uh, mine is probably more like 10 it's, it's hard to narrow it down when your family <laughs> takes up four of the slots um for sure but i would just say finding people who are passionate about something they don't have to be you know the most successful person by the way that society defines the word successful but when they're passionate about something and driven about whatever it is that they really love, that is so inspiring. And I think that's what's been really cool about my family is seeing my older sisters, they're so passionate about each of their own respects. You know, Kristen is in finance, and she's passionate about crypto. She's in charge of the crypto portion of a hedge fund. And then Julia is super passionate about music, and she's a country music artist. And that drove me to really want to find something that, I could find my own avenue in and pave my own path in and it ended up being running and nutrition. And so whenever you have other people around you that have their own passions and goals, whenever you're together, you'll help each other reach those goals together. And I think that's what's really cool about it.
0: Today's podcast is also brought to you by Stoke Performance Nut Butter. This is a company that provides a world-class product, and owners Wilkerson and James are truly incredible people who have made an even more incredible product. Stoke Performance Nut Butter uses only the cleanest ingredients so you can be performing and feeling your best every single day. Every ingredient in the nut butter has a purpose and and reason behind why it's in the product which personally it was super impactful for me because normally when you try out most nut uh, butters or peanut butters and you look at the ingredients there's always one or two sketchy ingredients that makes you scratch your head and wonder man i wish there was a better product out there that only used clean ingredients and stoke performance nut butter filled that hole and i'm so excited to start using this product Some key nutrients in Stoke Performance Nut Butter include B vitamins to support energy production and blood health, curcumin to support cardiovascular health, increased brain-derived neurotropic factor and muscle recovery, selenium to support proper thyroid function and energy metabolism, copper and iron to support blood health, zinc to support immune function, magnesium to support muscle function and recovery, and polyethylene phenols to support anti-inflammatory effects. Again, like, truly uses the best ingredients and nutrients to make you feel your best self going into your run or workout. This product is also super delicious and comes in very fun and unique flavors, such as cinnamon pecan fuel and dark chocolate hazelnut fuel. When I first started doing research on this product, I was immediately blown away and quite honestly in disbelief that such a high-quality product existed. Not only that was super, super healthy, and clean but also one that tasted super super delicious so you can get 10% off all products with code the running effect in addition to this we get a small commission from sales using that code so you are directly contributing to the future of this podcast which is super exciting I'm super passionate about this product and hope you will all give it a try and help the podcast out in the process. So go on over to stokeperformance.com to check out their amazing and incredible products today and use our code to help support the show. So one question I do want to touch on from a performance standpoint is we kind of touched on this earlier. I mentioned it. You made it to the NCAA Championship Outdoor Meet, which is something that very, very few collegiate athletes do in their collegiate careers. And then in addition to that, even cooler, in my opinion, is you made the uh, U.S. Championships, which I know is like... Super crazy and unexpected for you. So even like reflecting as I speak with you currently, like it's crazy how in high school, when you first started running, you had never imagined that you would run in college. And then that opportunity presented itself. And then this past year, you probably thought you had a very outside shot of making the NCAA meet. You do that and then you one up yourself by making the U.S. championships. So can you take (laughs) us behind just how special those experiences were and really just how cool it is to see all the hard work pay off because there are a lot of days and weeks and months, I'm sure, that you experienced where it's like, I don't know if this is going to come together. So to see it all come together, how special was that?
1: Gosh, I mean, it was it was so incredible. And I, I mean, I think if you talk to any of my teammates, I'm definitely not someone who is like super like, oh my gosh, this came out of nowhere. Like I... I'm very dedicated to running and my sport and I'm very passionate about it. And I'm the biggest about going to bed early and staying on a good sleep routine and eating well and really taking care of my body and doing all the little things. And I think that that's why it was so frustrating whenever I had gotten to my junior year and I hadn't been able to really feel like I was getting to be the runner that I felt like I was in high school for just that one little bit my senior year And I thought that I had, you know, had so much more potential because I started so late. And then I got to college and it was just so hard. And I was so confused by this. And my teammates were, you know, impressed that I was still sticking to my 8.30, 9 p.m. bedtime, even though I wasn't doing that great. (laughs) And my cross-country student this year, I actually felt the fittest i would ever felt in my life, you know, preseason training was great. I remember vividly this one particular 14 mile long run we did. And we did a five mile cut down at the end. And we cut down from like, we were running like 7:20s, And then we cut down through the sixes. And my last mile was a 545 with the girls, me, Michaela and Clara. And that run was so magical. It was like, Oh my gosh, this cross country, season, cross country season is going to be amazing. And it ended up being so bad (laughs) and I was just so confused because I was like, I'm doing everything outside. This is actually what I talk about in the conclusion of my book. I talk about like how frustrated I was at this point. And I actually ended up going into regionals every single meet. I felt like my training had been going well and I really put in a lot of work to hone in that mental side and, forget about the past races and be like, okay, this race is going to be great. And like, I'm going to be able to stick with the pack and do exactly what I know that I am fully capable of doing. And then at around like three K and the regionals mark, I literally started seeing stars and thought that I was going to start passing out or thought that I was going to pass out. So I could barely run. I started significantly slowing down at that point. I was in the front pack and then By 1K less, I was barely above a walk. And that was what was so crazy to me. It was like, we run, I run 60 miles a week. Like, how can I not run this four-mile race and and be okay? And it ended up being that I I went back to Duke, and I was like, I, I went to my whole medical team, support staff, and I was like, I would love to do some tests. Like, please, like, something is wrong. This is not normal. And they ended up figuring out that I had celiac disease and I was obviously that was a super scary diagnosis. Cause I was like, okay, I've had this my whole life. Basically it's where whenever you have gluten, it destroys the villi on the inside of your um, stomach. And so you aren't able to absorb any nutrients It's super inflammatory and you're basically malnourished all the time. And i I hadn't really been eating that much gluten throughout the week, but then right before races, I would have a giant bowl of pasta and basically carb load with pure gluten that whole two days before or whatever. And no wonder I felt terrible whenever I was racing. And so that's why it was so, (laughs) that was so frustrating for the first few years of my running career. But that's why whenever this season I was able to, I was able to have that understanding of what I needed. Gluten is not bad for you. You know, runners need bread and bagels are incredible. <laughs> and I think that that's what some people can get confused. They might be like, oh, like, you know, gluten-free, whatever, it's just this diet. I'm like, no, like celiac disease is a much more serious thing. And so I can't even have seasoning that I have a little bit of wheat in them because it will start my body again on that whole process. And that is what was a really pivotal discovery for me during this cross country season, because another thing it does is it really decreases your immunity. And so I was getting sick like every two weeks, I had bronchitis over Christmas and I was like, why do I get sick so much more than everyone else? Anyways, whenever I had that diagnosis, obviously it was like, okay, well this should make a big difference in my running career, but I would not let myself get my hopes up. I had too many times had gotten my hopes up and not been able to compete how I wanted to. And so it was like, you know, it's just another thing. I'm just going to, I love running. I love the process of it. And I love going to bed early and feeling good. So I think that that's what was really beneficial to me over the years is that I really do love the process and the journey. And I was able, that's what really helped me be able to stick to it over like through the struggles and this track season. I now, with this new diagnosis, knew that I couldn't, shouldn't eat gluten, and that's why I felt so much better, and that's why I was able to run so significantly faster. My big breakthrough was at Duke for the ACC, ACC conference championships that we were supposed to have on our home track my freshman year, and it actually got canceled because of COVID. So here we are two years later, finally getting to have the ACC championship on our home track, and it's just obviously magical because it's at home, it's under the lights, and I have a 30-second PR, which is just unknown. Uh, in, uh, so my steeple PR at the time was a 10-15. And sidebar, my senior year of high school, whenever I figured out I'd probably be running the steeple, I ended up looking up the Olympic trials qualifying time for it, which is a 9.48, and setting my password to 0948 on everything.
0: Wow, that's so, so special three... looking back.
1: <laughs> so, so special. And it's also just like, you know, what was, what was it that made me at that moment decide that, that was something I needed to do? It was just so funny because I was so far from that time at that point. And I didn't even get to see how far away I was until sophomore year because we didn't have track my freshman year. And my first people, I think I ran like a 1040-something. And I was like, okay, you know, it's not great, but it's a good, a good starting point. point. And I, sophomore season ended up getting it down to 1025. And so this year I was like, okay, if I could just break 10, that'd be awesome. But my, my PR was a 1015. I remember after like the first meet this year with Coach Rack, um, my new coach has just been absolutely awesome with the whole process, I remember I ran it at 1022. So it was a PR, but it was my first meet. And I was like, gosh, I want to break 10 minutes. And she was like, girl, we've got to break 1015 first." <laughs> so that was funny. And then I, I ended up running 1015, you know, a couple of weeks later, after having fallen face first into the water pit. So it's okay, if I can run a 1015 having fallen face first in the water pit, I can, you know, I, I believe I can break 10. But that night, my ACC championship, I actually wasn't didn't even know if I was supposed to score much less get on the podium. And I ended up getting second that night and running a 9:48, which was, you know, what my password had been so incredible three years. And it was just like, it was just like such a poetic moment where everything just came together. It was like my celiac had come together. I was finally like my book was about to be published. I running was finally, Clicking again, I ran that time. That was actually the meet that qualified me for USA's. I was able to score points for the first time as a Duke athlete, and you know, pretty cool that I ended up getting to be second. But I had gotten to be a part of two ACC championships on the track side, having not scored points, and that was so frustrating. I was like, I loved it, and I was so gratefully a part of it, but I wish that I could have contributed, and so it almost made those points even sweeter because I knew how much it took to be able to do that. Anyways, that was just really the kind of come together moment at that point where I just felt like, wow, the past three years of struggles and running and all of the effort have come together and been worth it. And, and I didn't take a second of it for granted because I have seen so many friends running is a, mean sport. There are so many people who go through and people don't like to talk about it, but don't end up getting to become the runner they want to be. And I think that COVID exacerbated that. Most people, if you put in the work, like, you know, it should end up happening, but still, there are injuries that you can't take into account. Like, you just cannot take anything for granted. And I have had dear, dear friends, you know, end up graduating and just be like, wow, you know, I didn't really get to become the runner that I wanted to be in college and obviously COVID taking away a couple of years of that made that more of a reality but that was just heartbreaking for me to see and and honestly my biggest fear going into college because I dedicate myself so much to it and so that moment was just so rewarding for me and for my family and to get to be able to run at NCAAs a meet that I had dreamed of being a part of get to be named to the All-American team and then get to run at USA's against the idols that I had been looking up to for years. You know, I, have a, I had a, a picture crossing the finish line with Colleen Quigley. Like, that was so cool for me. I've followed her since I was a senior in high school. And her and Emma Coburn and Courtney Freericks like, I got to talk to Courtney Freericks in the cool-down tent afterwards. And she was incredible. We had a great bonding conversation about mental health and the significance of speaking with a sports psychologist in reaching your athletic goals. And I'm just like, is this even happening? Like, is this real, is this a dream? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just really grateful for this whole story that was this season because it's what I had, you know, dreamed that my college career would get to be. And now everything else that I get to do will just be icing on the
0: cake. So I love you sharing all of that. And I think one component of the sport of running and probably sports in general, but obviously I'm not as familiar with the other ones, is just that people um, don't share the tough parts and the times when they're, you know, going through the mud and things aren't going well. And I think it's something that Every single runner experiences in their career is parts where they doubt themselves and they doubt that the goals they've set for themselves maybe won't come to fruition one day. So can you give some advice to maybe some listeners listening? Because I know there's a large portion of the running community that has struggles and is going through struggles, Mm -hmm. whether that be an injury or figuring out something like celiac disease. Can you speak to them on uh, maybe some advice when they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel currently?
1: For sure. And it's definitely something that we all go through. And, and like I just mentioned, it was kind of my first three years of college. <laughs> and I think that if you can find a way to fall in love with the process, like I was saying, and make sure that you're around people that you just love being around, it will really help propel you through those times and drive you to continue working through this times. Another thing that I've spoken about recently is, you know, the benefit that NIL has had is, it allows me to put my identity in something else in, you know, be able to be this human, this girl, this person outside of running. And having my identity in something other than running definitely helped not get so down whenever running wasn't going well. If you've got other passions and other things that you're putting your time into and you enjoy the process and enjoy the people that you're around when you are running, I think that that's, you know, that's hard to get for sure. But if you can do everything you can to get to that point, I think that is a setup to help you get through those hard times and get you to those really special moments that will eventually come if you do put in the work.
0: So there are so many questions I could ask you on NIL, but for the sake of time, really the only one I will ask that's kind of in relation to it, because when you're in Mm -hmm. NIL and going through those deals, it shows you're a well-rounded athlete. So speaking on that, why is it important to you to be a well-rounded athlete and more than just a runner?
1: So I would definitely say that being a well-rounded athlete and, and a human outside of your sport it's just so important, kind of what I touched on earlier, just finding your identity in something else. It really allows you to find success in your sport as well. And I think that that's where a lot of misconceptions can be is that people think you need to be, you know, all the time, 24 seven, just so diligent about your sport. And I think that honing in on who you are outside of your sport and doing other things that make you happy Are part of that. You know, you can be a 24 hour athlete by prioritizing yourself and figuring out what else you're passionate about. Because whenever you find these other avenues that you love and you're able to find your identity in something else, it'll help you be more confident and happy and able to reach your goals on the court or field or track.
0: So I have two questions for you um, speaking on your book, which we've actually probably discussed quite a bit in this episode already, and it's kind of cool how it's intertwined with your career as a runner. So for those interested, Mm -hmm. it's called The Player's Plate, and you can actually pre-order it right now, and I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. And even more exciting, in a few weeks, Emily and I will be doing a specific episode solely on the book. Otherwise, I'd ask more questions (laughs) than just these two. But for the sake of time, my first question for you is, you've done so many things in your life from running to academics to nil stuff to so many other incredible things but i'm curious to hear what do you think makes writing a book special in your opinion
1: yeah i i think that writing a book is just it's funny because there are so many books out now that it might be easy for one to be like oh well i could write a book it's not actually that hard and let me tell you it is hard <laughs> Um, but I think that what makes it special is I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier too, is just having those longer term projects end up paying off more in the future. And this is something that I started two years ago. I started it when I took my gap semester, my sophomore year during cross country season in the fall, I took a gap semester because COVID hit. And I think that whenever I had that time to start writing, and make that decision. This is something that I wanted to do. I didn't realize how, you know, whenever school and running came back into play, that I wouldn't be able to really get it all done as fast as I wanted to. And that's why it's ended up turning into a two-year process, which I could talk about more, but for the sake of time, is has ended up being something that's super beneficial. I wouldn't have wanted it to come out any earlier or be published any other way. And I think that the writing process is just something that is so contrarian to our current culture and society because everyone is so hooked right now on, you know, immediate satisfaction and we can get so many answers immediately on our phone and just solving problems and doing things fast, fast, fast. And a book is something that is not fast and you have to have, you know, at least three hours set out just to get in the right headset to be able to start editing your chapter. And that was something that really made it hard for me to do during school and why it was really nice that whenever I finished school this year and I was competing through NCAAs and USAs, the book actually provided a really great distraction from running. I think that whenever you have something else along with your running, it really allows you to take your identity out of running, not get too wrapped up in it, not psych yourself out and get, you know, all anxious about your workout tomorrow and things like that, because you've got work to do. And that's what I'm really grateful for. This book writing process allowed me to have during this whole track season. I think that the two work hand in hand to really make each other better. And that's something that was really beautiful to see and experience because I didn't expect it or mean for that to happen. But I think that the writing process of writing a book is something that has really helped me learn a lot about myself as a person and touch into this whole new world of of books and the book writing publishing process and make all these contacts. And obviously in the NIL world, you know, as far as I know, I'm the first athlete that is publishing a book with their name, image, and likeness. And so that's what is really cool is that, you know, everyone can post on TikTok or post on Instagram. But when you find a project that you're passionate about and you can do something that's a little bit different, it adds a different kind of value and sets you apart. And I'm really grateful that this book ended up working out perfectly for it to be that for me. Um, But I think that writing a book for anyone, if it's something that you want to do, I would definitely say make sure that it's something that you just feel like you have to get out of you and you're just extremely passionate about because it takes so long and you want to quit a bunch of times through one of the things that was recommended to me when i started was you know telling people that you were writing it and that it was going to be published and putting like author of in your bio and i did all of that two years ago and i absolutely believe it's what helped get me through the times when i was like i don't want to do this anymore like whenever you're writing your book i think this will, this will be my last point i promise but one of no, the i love things it keep was, going One of the biggest things my publisher was telling us is great books aren't written, they're rewritten. And when you have that first draft of your book, it is going to be crappy. It is not going to be good. But you have to start somewhere and you have to get your ideas out. And if you read the first draft of my book, it is light years different from what people are actually going to read. (laughs) Just because there's so much editing and changing and cutting and moving around that goes into the editing process once you have all your thoughts down. But it's definitely something that you've got to be willing to put the time into and just be so passionate about. Like I really feel like I just had all of this information and sports nutrition in my head. And I just almost wanted to tell it to like literally anyone that would listen. And so that's why it was so easy for me to write the book because it was just bursting out of me. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I had that avenue because now I don't feel like that anymore. But if you, if you don't have something that's necessary like that for you, it might be a little bit harder to drag it out.
0: <laughs> so one final question for you. And I love your long answers because a lot of times they answer like three questions that I was planning on asking. So it's perfect. And I guess you kind of <laughs> answered this in your answer, but I'll still ask it anyway. Maybe you want to elaborate a bit more. What lessons have you learned from running that helped you in the process of creating this book?
1: Yep. so I would definitely hone in on that delayed gratification. I think that that's something that's been exemplified through my running career and this book is just that, you know, if you put in the work day after day, it will end up paying off eventually. And that, you know, the little things every single day will build up. And I think that that's something that really helps a lot of runners be able to be successful in other avenues off of the track and off of the course because they've learned that skill set of understanding that, you know, you might have to do 20 track workouts over 10 weeks to be able to have one great race. And it just makes that one great race so much sweeter because it doesn't just happen immediately. And that's something that really helped me get through the whole process of writing the book is I just kept thinking about, And picturing that moment when I'd get to turn it in and how sweet that would be. And it really was incredible. And, you know, I kind of got to do it twice because I turned in my manuscript and then it went through copy editing, came back and I had to read it again. And I actually turned it in back to proofreading yesterday. So I kind of had that moment yesterday for the final time. But that's definitely something that really was a similarity between the two, which was really cool to experience.
0: And just quickly, for those interested, and of course we'll do another podcast and speak more on your book, which I can't wait to do, but where can people find Mm -hmm. more information on this book and you in general?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I actually have a website for it. It's theplayersplate.com, and that's definitely the best place to go to, you know, look at it and and pre-order it to order it whenever it does end up publishing in October And then my handle is actually the same across all platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. It is Emily Cole, but two E's at the beginning and the end. So E-E-M-I-L-Y-C-O-L-E-E.
0: Amazing. And perhaps the most important question I'll ask you today, one quick rapid fire question. Normally I ask a bunch, but for the sake of time, I'll only ask the important one that I ask every single guest. I'm curious to hear <laughs> your answer on it. If you had Gordon Ramsey coming over for dinner tonight, what would you choose to make for him?
1: Wow, I love that question. What would I, what would I choose to make for him?
0: Yes, yeah. If he was coming over oh, to wow. the Cole family house tonight, okay. what would you make for him?
1: The pressure is on, you know? I would make, so my family is Cajun. My parents are from Louisiana. And I would have to make crawfish etouffee. My right. parents taught me how to make a roux. And, you know, it's just like a kind of a thick, it's like a gumbo, but it's a little bit thicker of a paste. We would always have gumbo and etouffee growing up. And if I had to pick between the two, I'd do the crawfish etouffee.
0: Well, Emily, I'm approaching 90 episodes of The Running Effect over a two year period. And I honestly can confidently say, This is one of, if not my favorite podcast I've ever recorded. Your amazing inspiration. (laughs) No, I'm dead serious. I'm being so serious. I'm a very genuine person. Your genuine inspiration and wisdom and you sharing your story. um, It's been really a pleasure having this conversation with you and there are very few people who I look, look up to in life as much as I have to you since I first discovered you. It's like, wow, someone in life is doing all of these amazing things at such a young age and that was super inspiring to me as someone who's started a podcast at 15 years old which is so contrary to what we're told in society to do so anyways with all of that being said it has been such a pleasure being able to pick apart your story and hear all the amazing wisdom that you had to bring on today's show so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today
1: of course no the pleasure has been all mine seriously huge kudos to you for starting the podcast so young You've had such incredible guests, and congratulations on 90 episodes. (laughs) That is huge. I am just so grateful that you asked me to be a part of it, and I'm super, super impressed by you. So thank you so much for all the kind words, and can't wait to be back soon.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you liked it, I would greatly appreciate it if you share with your friends, subscribe to the show, and give us a five-star review on Spotify. That way, people who haven't discovered the show can discover the show more easily. Another way you can help the show is to support the people who support us. Currently, this podcast is sponsored by Liquid IV and Stoke Performance Nut Butter. I would greatly appreciate it if you guys support those organizations and use our discount code, which is, quote, the running effect in all caps. We get a small commission from all sales using that code, so you are directly contributing to the future of the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram. My username is The Running Effect. And we also have a Strava Club. And I believe our username slash club name is called The Running Effect or The Running Effect Podcast. One of those I'm sure will come up. So I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. I hope to catch you all in next week's episode. So until then, happy running.